Good morning. Today, we're continuing with our series. It's called Act Wise Financially in the Kingdom of God. There are rules and regulations in the natural world. There are rules and regulations in the spiritual world. And it's important that we know how to spiritually uh, operate in the kingdom which we are in. Now, we are, of course, in the world. We're not of it, but we're in the world. So we have to know how to operate uh, as far as the rules and regulations of the world. But really, we are aliens here. We are, our home is in heaven. We are seated in the heavenly places with Christ Jesus. So therefore, we must understand that we need to be operating not according to the to the, uh, to the plans and of uh, the principalities and the powers and the prince of this world, but according to God. Today's message is entitled, Let's Give God All Our Heart. Let's give God all our heart. Let's start there. Uh, we're going to go to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let's go there because we know that God has said one of the uh, things we talked about before is that where our treasure is, there our heart is also. That, that's, a, that's a spiritual law. Where our treasure is, there our heart is also. We, didn't, we did not say that. They, were, they were, were not my words. Of course, they are Jesus' words. So in Deuteronomy, if we look there, he said that we should love the Lord our God, you shall love the word, Lord your God, with all, all, not some, all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. That's what he said. Now, this message is about the heart. Because I don't believe we can operate financially in God's kingdom the way he asked us to, rep, uh, to, to operate if we don't understand that God is all about the heart. That's what's important to him, the heart. Let's look at it in First Samuel chapter 16. Let's go there. We'll see where the children of Israel wanted to be like the, the surrounding culture. They wanted a king. And even though Samuel told them, look, you don't want a king. A king is not going to be uh, for you. And they, he's going to, He's going to take your children. He's going to take your, your products. He's going to do all those type of things. You don't want that. But they wanted the king anyway. And they, they knew they sinned. That's in First uh, Samuel chapter uh, 12. I don't want to go there. We're in 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or the height of his stature. And he's talking about now changing orders because Saul, of course, was a king. He was the first one. And he was not very pleasing to the Lord. So the Lord moved him out of the way and got a man after his own heart. That's important now. After his heart. God is looking for us to be have the same heart as he has about finances, the same type of heart he has about people. He wants us to see as he sees. That's what he wants. So he says that, uh, Samuel, I want you to go anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And so all the sons were paraded before him, uh, except one. 
and the Lord said, I haven't chosen any of them, even though Samuel thought that Eliab, the, the oldest, the tallest, the, 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 the one who looked like he could be king, he was not chosen. So he said, do you have another son? Oh, yeah, we have one. He's out there. Uh, the youngest, he's out there. He's tending. She go get him. So this is the account of that, verse 7. And he said, don't look at him, his appearance or the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. So he had ejected the oldest who looked like the king, who looked like he could be a king. I don't see as man sees. That's what he's saying. For man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Oh, that's so important. God looks at our heart. How's our heart? We're supposed to love God with all our heart. And that's what I want to encourage us today. Give God our whole heart. All of our heart. Not part of it, but all of our heart. You know, sometimes we, we want to open up some rooms to our guests. Right? If we have a guest in our home, we don't want the guest to go to every room. We don't want the guest to look in every closet. We don't want the guest to open the shower curtain and look at the bathtub that we haven't cleaned up. Come on. Maybe, maybe, maybe I'm at the wrong place. See, maybe, maybe you're. <laughs> but I know as far as I'm concerned, we have a living room for the guests, dining room for the guests. We don't even like for the guests to come through the kitchen. Come on. Don't want the guests to come through the kitchen. And the family can come through the kitchen. The guests come through the front door. Right, right into the living room. And they eat right into the dining room. And then out. Back out. All right? <laughs> come on. <laughs> right. We don't even let guests use our personal bathroom. Come on. We don't keep our personal bathroom presentable for guests. Do you, do you hear what I'm saying? Because I have... You know, uh, our daughters can use our bathroom. When we have, when we have young people over and our daughters are, are there, they'll go use our bathroom. That's okay because they're a family, right? But guests, no. They don't come in there because we've got makeup and stuff like that, and sometimes uh, makeup drop on the floor, and we don't clean up. We just step on to keep pushing, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we do that, you know. That's how, we, that's how it is. Guests, like that, they don't, they don't see everything. Well, sometimes we treat God like that. Don't. We don't want him to every crevice, to every part of our heart. Come on. And, and we know the heart is the mind, the will, the emotions, right? All the inside, everything. That's what the heart, not this, this uh, organ here. We're not talking about this organ we're talking about the sin of our being. We're talking about what the enemy is after, our, our mind, our will and emotion. So, so we try to keep things from him. So on Sunday mornings, we keep things from each other, don't we? On Sunday, you say, well, how are you doing? What's the answer? Fine. Right? Now, a week like the week, this week, you know, things were not so fine, so we'll talk about some of the situations but we're spiritual. We, 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 don't, we don't want to say, man, I, I couldn't stand the heat. Man. I couldn't, I couldn't. We say, 
hey, man, I'm so glad we had water. And so I didn't have water. I'm so glad you had air to breathe, you know. See, <laughs> we, we, we're going we're gonna to think of something because we're supposed, we know in the, in the realm of the spirit, we're in church, we know we're supposed to be spiritual, right? So we're going to say that we're supposed to be thankful for everything, right? Not for everything, in everything. Now, did you catch that now? So don't get me wrong now. We're not, we're not being thankful for everything, but we are thankful in everything. So even when the power outage, we can be thankful for something, can't we? We can be thankful that we live in America. We can be thankful that we weren't, we're not living in Uganda with Vanessa, one of the missionaries, that they don't have power anytime. <laughs> Some, most, of, most of the country there, especially in the villages, they don't have, they don't have uh, the modern conveniences. They cook on a stove outside their mud hut. It's hot all the time. Right? They're going to go draw their water from us. So they, they cannot turn on the speak. They cannot uh, use the bathroom out inside in the night. They're going out there with, the, with, with whoever, the, the, all the animals, you know. Right? Come on. I've been there. I know. Right? No conveniences. So we can be thankful in everything, can't we? But when we come to church, we put on these airs. Sometimes when we come before God, too, we put on airs. I want, I want us to let our hair down, as they say. Now, I don't have much of that down, but we can uh, let our hair down, as they say, and, and let God in every area of our heart. That's what we're talking about, because God is after the heart. He doesn't look at, at things as we look at things. So let's go to another area. I, in, in, in our scripture, main scripture in Luke, let's go there. Luke chapter 16, verse 13. Let's go there. In, in, in Luke, God gives us another law, spiritual law, spiritual principle. And this is what he says in verse 13. No servant. No servant. Now, I know some of you are very, very intelligent. Uh, you know, we have Liberty University here. We have all this type of theological things. And so you probably ask me, what does that word no mean? What's the, what's the Greek word for no? Well, I can already tell you that when he says no servant, he means no servant. Now, if you want to look it up in, in, my, in my Greek uh, dictionary, you can do that. But it's no. None. Zilch. Zero. No servant can serve two masters. That's the law. You can't do it. You either hate the one and love the other, or else you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God, King James would say, and mammon, or mindset, and wealth, or money. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about money. You can't serve God in money. It's impossible. Impossible. So the question will be, if this is true, how can I be in this system and still be obedient to what God is asking me to do? How can I do that? Because he said I can't do both. Well, we know that if you are a servant, 
you have to do what the master says. Is that correct? So that means that you, he's saying here, you can't do what the world system, financial system, the, the, you can't have money to rule you. You must have God ruling you. That's what it means. We can use the monetary system that we're in. We have to. God, God, all things are ours, it says in another scripture. And he wants us to use the world but not overuse it. That's another scripture. So it's okay to use money. And that's what all of Luke 16 was talking about when we was talking about the, the unjust steward. And, and, and we, we have been dissecting this verse by verse on down, and we're on 13 now. And so I love this verse because it challenged me, how can I stay serving God, he's my master, and not get hung up on other things? Well, let's go to another area. We're talking about the heart now. I want to go to the uh, area of obedience because a heart and obedience, they're tied together. Okay? That's what God wants us to do. So let's go to John, the Gospel of John. We'll go to uh, the 14th chapter and the, thir- the 15th verse. Let's go there. Let's see what, what actually he's saying about obedience. Verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Let's go over a little further to verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. So how do we know whether we really love God with all our heart? How do we know that we love God with all our heart? Because that's the title of the message. Giving God all our heart. How do you know when you're loving God with all your heart? It's tied to obedience, isn't it? It's tied to obedience. what, What is God asking us to do? Because God asks us to do things. And if I can do what he asked me to do, and he's already told me in another scripture that his commandments are not burdensome. They're not so weighty that we can't do them. Even though we might not want to do them, even though they might not be um, convenient for our flesh, still we can do them. He's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to do it. We have the power of the Word. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. We have angels. We, we have the Father. We have the Son. We can do what God asks us to do. We have to start moving from one degree of sanctification to another degree of sanctification. We have to practice one step at a time being obedient to this, being obedient to this. And what God does, he'll reveal an area in our heart that's not quite he is. 
And he'll touch that thing, that place. And he'll say, this is an area. I want to go in your master bathroom. He said, Lord, we have not straightened up. <laughs> no, 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 no. I want to go in there just the way it is. Let me see. And when you open it up, then he's okay. I say, do you want it to be this way? Because I want to. I want to use your bathroom. Well, okay, Lord, let me start straightening this thing up. Right. Doesn't the Lord want to be in every part of your heart? Yes, He does. Every part. Verse twenty-four. It says. And he who does not love me does not keep my words. He's a hard saying, seem like, doesn't it? What you mean if I don't keep your word? I love you, Lord. Wait a minute. If you love me, you're going to keep my word. I don't want to keep this word. I like that word over there, so I keep that word. But I don't like this one. No. You can keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. And, of course, I can say the word I'm telling you is not my word, but it's the word in the whole of Scripture. And it's without error. It's in error. Now, let's look at a, a person in Acts 8, verse 9. It's a person who came out of the world system. It was a very interesting person. Um, You've you read about it probably. Let's read this account. Saul was, this is Acts chapter 8, verse 1. Saul was in hearty agreement and putting him to death. And, no, I don't want to start there. That, that, that doesn't sound too good. Let's start in verse 9. Start in verse 9. Don't want to go there. Stephen. Now, there was a man named Simon. That's who we want to talk about, Simon. Who formerly was practicing magic in the city and astonishing the people of Samaria, claiming to be someone great. Now, do you think this, this, this man is saved? Here's a man practicing magic, claiming to be somebody in the city. Okay. I can tell you, no, he's not saved yet. Verse 10, And they all, from the smallest to the greatest, were given attention to him, saying, This man is what is called the great power of of God. And they were giving him attention because he had for a long time astonished them with his magic arts. But when they believed Philip, because Philip was preaching the good news, the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were being baptized men and women alike. Now listen to this. Even Simon himself believed. Now, 
is Simon saved now? Talk to me. Okay. If somebody believes, it said, even Simon himself believed, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, obviously you are what? Saved. And if you tell me that he's not saved, then I'm going to ask you then, what is believing? Because we know if we believe on the name of Jesus Christ, he said, you'll be saved. So Simon, he believed the gospel. He got saved. Listen to this. And after being baptized, okay, so now Simon was baptized. Do you think Philip is so naive? Do you think Philip is so ignorant of the things of the, of the gospel that he doesn't know how to save anybody, doesn't know how to, when to baptize him? He got saved, Simon. He continued on with Philip, and as he observed signs and great miracles taking place, he was constantly amazed. And when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent for Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying hands on them, talking about the apostles, laying hands on the people, Samaria. And they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was being bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Do you think you can be saved and still serve money? You know, when, when you get saved, you, you, you know, your, your spirit, you know, you have a new spirit, born again, but we still have the same flesh, don't we? I mean, we, we, didn't, we don't get transformed, we don't have a new body yet, right? So therefore, all the time, I know that it takes God to start making some changes in my heart. When I got saved, back whenever I got saved, I don't know when it was, it was back in the 80s, I got saved, I was the same except I wanted to know more about Jesus. I wanted to walk the walk. Before, I didn't want to walk. I thought I was already there. So now, I know that God has brought me a long ways. But I know that I have a longer ways to go. I know that also. So I think we're all in that process of sanctification. Is that correct? I believe that Simon is the same way. So I'm, I'm telling you back in Luke when we said you can't serve God and mammon, sometimes we, we have to learn what the Scripture says and start moving towards there. We have to start turn down some strongholds. Listen to what it says here. It says that saying, this is verse 19, give this authority to me as well so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. See, Simon was reverting back to his old ways of magic, wasn't he? Because he thought he was somebody great. 
Remember? Well, this is Magic God. And people were paying attention to him. He's still like those accolades. He's still like that attention. He still wanted to be somebody. We don't know what environment Simon grew up in. We don't know what strongholds may be in his life. We don't know what bondages were there. All we know is what the scripture says up to this point. So it says, But Peter said to him, May your civil perish with you. Huh. Now I believe that, and it doesn't say, but I just, this is just me, I believe that, that Simon when he was doing magic and all those type of things, he would want to receive money for it. And so he had money, so he wanted to give money in order to have these gifts too so he can go out and do the same thing. Say, on whom I lay my hands on. God doesn't operate that way. You can't serve God and money. You can't do that. That's why people say, may your silver perish with you. With you. Because God is not into the world system of finances. He, 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 he puts everything into operation, but that's not the most important thing. And we've said that in other parts. Let's go a little further. Because you thought that you could obtain the gift of God, it's a gift. Laying on hands, it's a gift. With money. You can't do that. You're tied to this world system. Listen to this, what it says. You have no part or portion in this matter. For your, what's that word? Heart is not right before God. Oh, I want my heart to be right before God. That's what I want my heart to be right before God. And it says here, therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. So I believe this man got saved, but he still is in bondage. As a matter of fact, I know that. And I know that because what it said in the next verse. It says, For I see, and this is, this is they're saying, Peter said, I see that you are in the gall of bitterness. And in the bondage of iniquity. Now he was seeing something. When we get when we get born again, do you realize we can still be in bondages from our our, our past, our environment that we grew up in? We we have all sorts of hang-ups. I'm telling you. We we are no different than anybody else. We just have now a way to get free. The world doesn't have a way to get free. But Jesus, whom the Son says free, is free indeed, the Scripture says. So we have freedom at our disposal, but we have to know that we're in bondage. The only way we're going to know that is have God search our hearts, our motives, the intent of our will, all those type of things. We have to know those things. And we can be free, but the first thing is you got to know you're in bondage. I don't want to be in bondage to the world system. 
Let's go a little further. A heart that is after God will be bent, bent towards obedience. A heart after God will be bent towards obedience. That means that even if we don't obey something, our intent, our desire is to obey. That's our bent. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? It's our bent. We're easy to be entreated, in other words. Let's look in Genesis because I believe that we have a choice. See, God, what he does, Genesis chapter 2, what God does, and sometimes when you come into salvation, you don't really understand what God is doing, what he means by what he does. But God is trying to get us because he's given us a mind, a will, emotions. He's after that heart. He's after to be sold out for him. That's what he's after, be sold out for him. So therefore, he's going to always give us a choice. If there are no choices, then how can we say that we really love him with all our heart? We can be like a machine. We just, it's no choice. We don't have a choice. We don't have a will. We don't have any desires. We don't have any emotions. We just made so that we just, all of us in the line, we just, like a robot, we just do, we just do what God says is. But we're not like that always. So he doesn't always give us a choice. You have to know that because God says, love me with all your heart. So he doesn't always give you an opportunity to love him. That's what he's going to do. He's going to allow that to happen. It started way back, Genesis chapter 2. Let's look at verse 7, 8, 9. Then the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And the Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that is pleasing to sight and good for food. Every tree. Every tree that's pleasing to the sight and good for food. The tree of life also in the midst of the garden. What was the tree of life? In the midst of the garden. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Where is that? Where was that? In the midst of the garden also. Then let's go to verse 15, 16, 17. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it, to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may freely eat. But from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For the day that you eat from it, you shall surely die. Why? Why would God do that? Why would God put a pleasing tree to the sight, a pleasing tree to the taste, is good for food, in the midst of the garden, 
where the tree of life is, and all the other trees. And he said, you can freely eat of all of them. Even the tree of life he could have freely eaten, couldn't he? He said, but do not eat of this one. Why? Why even do that? Why not? Don't put the tree there. It will help me. Right? I don't want to be tempted. Do you want to be tempted? Don't put nothing in there to tempt me. If I'm not supposed to eat dessert, don't put, don't make desserts. I won't ever eat them. No such thing as dessert. Now, but see, if we know that a heart after God is bent towards obedience, and God is after the heart, we have to know that He has to now, because the Scripture said in John that if you love Me, keep My commandments. So it has to be some way for you to show that you love God more than you love yourself. More than you love what you want to do. You see what I'm saying? So there always has to be something there. And so it started there. It started there. Isn't that good? That, that we know that, that, that in the financial realm, there's going to be always something that he says, do not do this. In relationships, there's going to always be something he said, don't do this. Because what does he want to do? He wants your whole heart. That's what he wants. And so he's, he's made us with the ability to choose, but he wants to choose obedience. That's what he wants us to choose. Let's go a little further. Let's go to chapter 3. Why would... Why, would, why, why wouldn't God, when the enemy, our arch enemy, our enemy, Satan, the devil, the adversary, our opposition, the one who's against us, why would he not just put him in chains from the beginning and say, you know, you, you, went, you went bad, you were the anointed cherub, cherub but you're going to mess with man that I made, so I'm going to lock you up until I'm finishing so you won't have any way of messing them up. Why wouldn't he do that? Why would he let the devil loose? On earth. Have you ever figured that? See, he, the devil is always going to be opposed to God's plan, to God's person, to God's people. Always. Always. But God will use him too, right? He will use him to say, hey, my people are going to choose me. And the devil says, no, 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 no. They are not going to choose you. They're going to choose disobedience. They don't love you. They don't love you that much. Oh, yes, they do. I'll prove it. And so he's loose on the earth. Now, what does he always try to get us to do? Be disobedient to anything that God says in his word. He tries to make it so enticing that, hey, chapter 3, the serpent says to the woman, surely 
you shall surely not die. What? He should say, you liar. God said, I will die, so therefore I will die. So don't even try to tempt me to eat. I'm not going to eat, you devil. Don't entertain things against the word of God. Listen to this. For God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God and you will know good and evil. Is that true? Yeah. <laughs> he always is going to tell you the partial truth. In other words, God knows that you're going to be like him. He, he's trying to hold something back from you. And our young people who are, who are leaving, and we got teen, uh, uh, older teens in here and young people, you know, God's always going to do that. He's going to give you the opportunity to choose him. The devil's going to always try to tempt you to, to choose things against God. This is what's going to always get to do. Yeah. Right? We got young ladies in here, right? Got young ladies? Do we have any young ladies? All y'all old? Okay. We got young ladies in here. I always say, hey, young lady, there's a man over there that looks so good. Yes, he looks good. Yeah, but uh, God says that I can't marry him because he's not in the Lord. Oh, did God say that? God just doesn't want you to marry somebody ham. He wants you to marry some, somebody that don't look like nothing, you know. And you, you can change him. You can change him. Just because he's not saved, you can change him. Come on, huh? <laughs> and we already know that. You can try it if you want to, but you better believe God, right? Believe God. So we know that what happened to that story, don't we? Let's end uh, this message with uh, with Job, because uh, Job. Chapter 1, verse 8. Let's go there. Because some people think everything is from God, and that's not true. But the enemy is always trying to be at us. This is a classic story. Let's start in verse Now we, now, now, we know that Job was okay. It says in verse 8, The Lord said to Satan, because here's, here's the, the, the sons of God getting together. Here come Satan coming there in the present. And God says to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job, for there is no one like him on earth, a blameless, upright man, fearing God, turning away from evil? Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear you or reverence you for nothing? Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? Have you not done that? You have blessed the work of his hands and his possessions have increased 
in the land. Now, Job was wealthy in that time because wealth was determined by what you own, and he had all these sheep, camel, donkeys, oxen. He had all of them. He, had, he, he, was, he was wealthy. Now, Satan, watch what he comes out of. Why wouldn't Satan say, let me touch, just put some boils on him? Why did he first say that? Yeah, listen, listen to it now. Here, here what's that? He says, But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you. See, Satan knows that the, in this system that man has a tendency to value his possessions more than anything else. Not in God's system, but in the world system, man tends to value his possessions more than anything else. So therefore, Satan says that, hey, you let me touch his possessions, I bet you he'll curse you then. I bet you won't reverence you then. I bet you won't serve him. See, you've been putting a hedge of protection around everything. Everything has been increasing all his possessions and everything because you had your hand on him, but you take your hand off him and let me touch his stuff, his stuff. Well, see, he didn't know that Job didn't care nothing about his stuff, right? We have to know that, hey, we don't care nothing about the stuff that God allows us to have. Take it. We have air conditioning. That's a luxury, right? Take it. All I'm going to do is sweat, <laughs> right? <laughs> Come on. I'll be uncomfortable if you let me stay in this environment for about a year. I'm just going to be all right. It's going to be all right. I might be like Chad I'm, and Jennifer. I might sleep outdoors. You know, it's cool outdoors and it is in the house, right? Yeah. You see? Don't care nothing about stuff if you're going to be a, a good steward of what God wants. And when he touched all his stuff, all his stuff, then Job, verse 22, says, though through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. And that was, that was good because, see, God has said in verse 12, Satan, behold, all that he has is in your power, or the translation of that in Hebrew is in your hand. In other words, it's in your hand. That which I place in your hand, and you have control over it. I'm placing it in your hand. But don't, just don't touch his body. Don't touch nothing. Or don't touch him. Don't put your hand on him. But you can touch, touch his stuff. And I'll prove to you that he's still going to love me. Can he say that about, about us? That he can touch all the stuff we have, but yet we're not going to curse God. We're going to still love God. We're not going to blame God. We know that we have an enemy that is responsible for these things. And we know that God, of course, allowed him to do that. But if God allowed him to do it, that means God had a purpose for it. You see? And it's okay. 
As long as God doing something, we're his anyway, aren't we? Okay? So during these times of, of, of hard times that come upon us, we can still rejoice in the Lord. We can still say he is good because um, we are going to do what the word of God says. We are going to be hospitable. We're going to show neighborly concern for one another. We're going to look out for one another. We're going to help one another because God does love, right? There's love. And God's called us to love others because that's what he says. Everything boils down to loving your neighbor as yourself or a new uh, commandment is to love others as I have loved you. So therefore, we're going to look out for one another. We're going to love each other through all this stuff that, that happens. But we're not going to get upset and all irritable and at each other because of a little inconvenience of it. Because it's not about the things we own. It's not about the convenience that we have. It's about God's kingdom. Let's stand. If there's anybody here that you say, I want to be in this kingdom. I want to be in the kingdom of light and not darkness. Would you pray for me? If that's you, just raise your hand and put it back down. We'll pray for you. Anybody would like to say, I want Jesus Christ to be the Lord and Savior of my life. Just raise your hand and put it back down, and we'll in, uh, include you on a prayer. Or if you're here and you say, well, you know, I haven't been living that intimate relationship with Jesus Christ as I need to be living, and I would like to be like the prodigal son. I'd like to come back to the Father. Even though I'm born again, I haven't been living like I've been born again. Would you pray for me in your closing prayer? If that's you, just raise your hand and put it back down. We'll pray for you. Okay. I saw the hand. Good. Would the um, prayer team come up? We had a prayer team come up uh, for you at the end of the service. That if you have prayer needs for loved ones, anyone who's if anyone need anything, if you'd like somebody to stand with you, uh, they will stand with you. They'll pray with you. We love you enough to know that prayer works. Prayer works. The person who raised their hand, uh, I like the congregation to just be in prayer for the person. And the person I want you to pray, I need a breath, but pray. You can pray silently, but still pray after me. Father, in the name of Jesus, I know I have strayed away from you. And I know that I need you. I ask you to forgive me for going after the things of the world and not going after the one who created all the things. Father, for that forgive me. I'm returning to you today and I purpose to follow you. I purpose to obey you. I purpose 
to give you my whole heart, all of my heart. If you will give me the grace to do it. In Jesus' name. Thank you again for listening to this message from Cornerstone Community Church in Lynchburg, Virginia. Our website is cornerstonelynchburg.com. You may call us at 434-847-4796. And our physical address is 525 Old Graves Mill Road in Lynchburg, Virginia.